The Ziggler Show comes from the legacy of Zig Ziggler and brings together personal and professional growth, business success, and faith. Welcome, I'm Kevin Miller. In this episode, never be a victim. Here's a quote by our guest. Everything works together for my good. I'm never a victim. So that's Deborah Smith Pigay. Uh, she had every reason to be a victim, which you're going to hear in just a second, but ultimately she just didn't see the value in it. She was poor, underprivileged, black. She'd been molested, yet figured out how to get an education, went from being a Southern maid to a Fortune 500 VP, and then on to becoming an international speaker and award-winning author of 17 books, including her book, 30 Days to Taming Your Tongue, which has sold over a million copies worldwide. That's gigantic. But don't expect a hard-charging war horse here. That's what intrigued me so much. Deborah is just all smiles and laughter and grace as she gave lighthearted but profound answers to all of my inquiries. At one point, as I pressed her on some hardships that she had faced, she just said, well, you know, what were the options? Let it all take me down or just go ahead and do what needs to happen and succeed. And it left me feeling silly to some degree for minimizing myself or letting any circumstances get me down and handicap me. Uh, she's got a new book. It's called Lead Like a Woman. But I'll tell you, her message spoke to me as much as any I've heard in a long time. What we discussed regarding gender and race and opportunity was just powerful. Uh, as a black person, she says, I never tried to be white. And as a woman, she said, I never tried to be a man. However, she recognized how the cards were stacked and simply did what needed to be done. Uh, she knew she'd have to work. She said this twice as hard to get half the credit which again, she just accepted and did it. She said, that's just how it is. And she realized complaining about it or letting it hold her back gained her nothing. It just diminished her and her opportunities. And what she is today is a wildly successful and joyfully fulfilled human. It was just a pure delight and inspiration, again, to hear her wisdom, to talk with her. I think you'll find the same thing. Uh, you can find Deborah and all she has to offer at confrontingissues.com. And you can find her new book, Lead Like a Woman, anywhere you buy books. So I'm going to bring Deborah to you after sharing what else we have for you and some great products and services. All right, Deborah, you know, in looking at all you have done, it's a lot. Uh, you've done a lot and you're doing a lot. <laughs> curious, literally, as, as, as with all that, what do you feel? What would you say the testimony would be of those who know you? What are you best known for? Working through adversity. I always say I, trouble is good for you. So that's kind of my motto. No matter what's going down, keep your joy. I'm, al I'm always up. Really, I don't I don't do depression. And I, it's not a slam on anybody who has suffered with that, because sometimes I know it's due to something else rather than a mindset. But I'm, I'm a happy person. I, I, I just decide I'm going to be happy. <laughs> well, so tell me about the root right there, because I know it's actually it was written in your information that your motto is everything works together for my good. I am never a victim. I, I mean, we know. Uh, we know about the victim mentality. It's just difficult for me to not feel like we are ever growing more so in that in our culture right now. And I don't know if there's a message that's more popular than that. And we can all hear that and nod our heads, but living it out day to day, especially when you get the unfortunate gift of today's headlines and media, it is not that. It is absolutely the opposite. 
Yeah, Kevin, and I haven't done a psych job on myself so that I just tell myself that. So lest I sound like a walking Bible, which I'm fine to do that. <laughs> but Please. I tell you, I believe the Bible. And when Romans 8, 28 says that all things work together for good to those who love God, that there, there's a distinction there. Uh, I'm called for a purpose. Nobody can afford it. You'll probably hear, hear me say that many times during this interview. So I started that mindset when I was about and maybe in the ninth grade where I first started to learn the Bible. So that's kind of seared on my mind that no matter what's going down, ultimately it's going to work for my good. So that, that is the basis for my life. That's the theme of my life. And I, I will stay in disappointment about two seconds. I'll be depressed about just a few minutes. Then I'll say, that's right. That's right. Let me bring myself back to my base. That's my base. What was the, what was the seed that planted that perspective in you at such a young age? Well, I should I should say because I had well, not, and I did have wonderful parents, but I tell you, I started memorizing the Bible and, and really getting into it because there was nothing else to do in my hometown. It was a very small place. So, you know, really, honestly, but we were taken to church early. I joking to say we would we came up on drugs. We were drugged to church and drugged to the Sunday. <laughs> so I came up on drugs. All right. We were drugged everywhere. I, always with God around the center, not necessarily reflected in our home life, though because I came from a, an abusive situation where there was always domestic violence. And so I don't want to make it sound like I've had this wonderful life because it really hasn't been, quote, wonderful. But I could have I looked at it and say that's a lesson learned. So when I say I'm never a victim, every situation was just a lesson learned and a stepping stone what not to do, what to do. So that that was the basis for it. I just I didn't have a whole lot else to do. And when I found out that the word had life, then I'm like, OK, this is it. I got it. No matter what's going down, this is going to be it for me. Again, that is, we, you know how rare that is. And that's why you're here today. And it's why you're leading people in this. But for you to come from that, because that was one of my questions. Uh, was there something different, a benefit that you had different than your peers in your childhood at that time that allowed you or helped foster this type of perspective? Because from what I just heard of you, it sounds like, no, it may have been as bad as anything. Yeah, and it really was. You know, I was 14 years old when they passed the Civil Rights Act of 1964. So there, I just told my age. I heard I, that. I turned 70 recently. I know I don't look like it, Kevin. You but don't look it. like it. You don't look like <laughs> it. With all, all due flattery, you just don't. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But when people say you've done a lot, I'll say that's because I'm 100 years old. I've had a long time to do it. <laughs> but beautiful. at any rate, yeah. But I was, I was in the ninth grade. And I can tell you that has that kind of shaped the rest of my life because I was uh, before then we couldn't go and order your hamburgers in front of the fast food place. And you had to go to separate restrooms. All the public facilities were separate. But see, when I learned that somehow or another on paper, now we're equal, uh, it, it made a, a mindset change. I, OK, I can be anything I want to be according to that law. <laughs> it, it didn't prove to be that way in reality for and even now. But it's OK, because I feel that my individual journey is going to be based on how I view things. And this is not like a mindset thing, because I'm really not into that. Just the universal bring it to you. I'll step. Listen, God has a plan for me. <laughs> and so when his word says all the days ordained for me were already written in his book before one of them came to me, when something bad happens, I say, ah, this was on the schedule, but I'm supposed to learn something from it. This day was ordained for me. Not that God started it or originated it, but whatever the enemy tries to throw at me. It's working for my good. 
Okay. Well, obviously I, so I hear the thread, I see the thread that took you on because this is part of, it's the beginning of your bio, Southern made to fortune 500 VP. And uh, you, honestly, in all, in all, I hope this is, it probably isn't politically correct. I don't know how to be politically correct. Forget but it. When you said that, I thought of the movie, we own it. Um, uh, uh, the help. Made. The help. the help. Thank you. We own it. We've seen it multiple times. I have adopted kids who are uh, of a different race than, than the white bread that I am. And they, uh, it's a, it's a powerful thing, but to say you went from that to fortune 500 VP, that is a big gulf. And I do want, I want to hear, and I want people to hear what are some of the inciting incidents that led you from made to fortune 500? Cause that's a big journey. Well, my last, put this in perspective, I worked, my mom was a, a domestic worker. Uh, she worked for, we always say she worked in white folks' houses. <laughs> That's how we say it in the South. Yeah. But I, so I took on some of her work. But but when I graduated high school, I went straight to college. But before then, part-time, working as a motel maid or whatever, 75 cents an hour, really excited when you got a dollar twenty-five. Wow. And so, but see, I didn't think that was bad because the time that I was working as a maid, I was really trying to save money, um, get uh, money for clothes for school and all of that. And I paid every ounce of my own education. I paid for it myself. So I didn't, you know, sometimes you don't know, if you don't know any better, you don't know that you're disadvantaged. So right. I, I just thought that was a, you know, stepping stone to getting my clothes and stuff lined up for school, honestly. And so take us real quick. So you went to college. What did you, what did you make or uh, what did you major in? I went to University of North Texas, majored in accounting, uh, became a CPA, moved to California. I went to USC, got an MBA, went to a uh, public, public accounting CPA firm. And then I went to Universal Studios as a VP. And then I went to another place as a, a high ranking executive in a Fortune 500 company. Okay, so yeah. I'm going to go back to what you just said, because it's incredibly curious to, to the extent I'm paraphrasing that you. Okay you didn't really perceive your underprivilegedness. Yes. That's a, but that's a big deal because that, I mean, that's, that's, that's the, you know, eyes open or, or not how many people are out there. And I'm sure this is what you find yourself speaking to that a privilege or, or not. It's our perspective. It's the meaning that we associate with it, which is reality in, in essence. And right. for you not to know that, well, somebody asked, was there a time when you all of a sudden realized it? Well, yes, yeah, so it wasn't like, you know, we knew, see, we had been disadvantaged all along and we didn't have a lot of racial tension in our hometown. We really didn't. So it's just, you know, there was a black high school, there was a white high school and every now and then something would flare up or when something, some civil rights people would come through or whatever. And we had a, maybe a couple of people in our hometown who tried to stand up and I think one of them was killed and that may have squashed the others. But we, again, I didn't know that I am like so disadvantaged and I just felt like because I was quote smart in school and made good grace that ultimately education was the key. So they taught us now, listen, you got to be twice as good so that you can get half the credit. You got to be twice as good as the white people. So, I mean, I was so bound towards being excellent until that was the challenge for me. I never sought a position. I just sought to be really good. <laughs> twice as good to get half the credit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and trust me, Kevin, that's a mindset. I don't care if you interview any black person, you know, and we've been told that at some point and, and, and that that's just going to be your reality. So that's why I watch how I tell my story. I don't want to tell my story in a way that engenders hate. I mean, I want to I want to I want to I want people to be inspired and say, hey, I can do that. You know, and, and you got to have other you know, well, we'll talk about that. Later. You but, need that's, other uh, well, that's, but again, that yeah. statement right there is, you know, when you talk about the uh, victim perspective, I mean, you have every right, at least as far as we see rights these days 
to claim that is unfair, that is an injustice, and to sit in there. Now, we know from an intellectual standpoint, feeling that way doesn't get you anywhere, doesn't help anything, but, but you still, I mean, you deal with people every day who are in the despair of that, in the acute hurt of that. So again, hearing it, nodding our heads to it is one thing. And yeah. yet I feel like the cultural bias towards that perspective is so strong. And maybe, wait, again, okay, I'm going to pick on your age then. Okay. Because to some degree in my lifetime, so I am, I'm just knocking on 50 in my lifetime. I don't know that I've ever seen us at a, as, at this acute of a time, uh, at least that I perceive as a, yeah. as a you know, as a uh, so-called adult, uh, you know, there were some things that happened. I, I know back in the seventies, not, but even before then, right. Right. Things like, well, I'll ask you, do you see us at an ultra acute time right here today? As of this recording, August 18th, 2020. We are, but I, two things. We were at a terrible time when there was a Rodney King effort, effort to, to, to bring racial healing after that. But I like this, when I say I like this time we're in, because I'm seeing so much cultural diversity. I think people's eyes have been opened because we, we saw a, a gross injustice right before our eyes. And so I like the fact that I think we've come together more. People, other people who don't look like me are saying, hey, this is a problem. Because for too long, we denied that there was racism. Some people just, you know, a lot of white people still don't believe there's systemic racism. I've heard them say it. But as I've yeah. uh, made, made, made it my business to be more multicultural in my outreach, I don't I don't hate anybody. I ain't mad at nobody, as we say in the community. I ain't mad at nobody. But I tell you, I, I, I am heartened by the, the diversity I see in the marches and all of that. So it's the best of times and the worst of times. That's how I want to say it. It is the best of times and the worst of times. Well, and we're here to talk about you and, you know, especially some of your messages that I want to get into. But part of you is what you have shared. So you have this new, uh, is it a book or just a PDF? The 10 ways whites and blacks can bridge the racial divide. Was that a, was that a book? Yeah, no, it's not a book. I was just sitting writing one day and I just thought, you know, I, I hate to see everybody painting with this broad brush. I have a family who's, you know, we're extreme in some of our views and I'm trying to convince some of my brothers. I have six brothers uh, that all white people aren't bad. And, and, and one day my brother said, you just need to give that up. They're all, they're all terrible. They're never going to change. <laughs> I'm like, no, that's not true. I have plenty of white friends that have just been so great to me, not just in the things they've done, but I can tell from their mindset that they are genuinely concerned about my plight in life. And I, you know, so I, I can't buy into that, but I tell you what, Kevin, what I have noticed is that the more people you have in your circle of influence who don't look like you, your circle of interaction, you have a different attitude. You put down the broad brush. And that's yeah. why we got to get to know each other. We got to get to know each other. We say that, oh, we got to come together. What does that look like? That happens one person at a time. That happens one friend at a time. So that's why I'm proactive in, in doing that. Okay. Well, you know, when you, I want to hit on, you know, I just had this discussion. I got to pull it. It's so interesting as you're talking about that, that we do paint with a broad brush. I've been having some in-depth uh, discussions with some family members on Christianity and, you know, my own stance. I found myself yesterday out on the deck saying, you know what? I claim Jesus Christ. I'm not that hip on claiming Christianity and Christians these days because of all the baggage goes, but it's very hard to claim Christ and not be attached. It's almost impossible is what it feels like. So I understand what we're dealing with it, even though we say, Hey, I am not that grouping. Boy, that's difficult again with a culture that does. 
Well, and we, some of that we've earned, we've, we've kind of lost our, our reputation as being the, the real moral majority. Yeah. The Christians, Christians are disdained. And I tell you, I, I lived, I worked in Hollywood. I worked for Universal Studios for many years. And it, you almost better not say you're a Christian. Yeah. You know, you just better act like it and, and not say it because, and, and, and for God's sake, don't be evangelical. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when you look at it, it's just people who are trying to evangelize the world for the, for Jesus Christ. But and everybody's not the same. I, you know, I deliberately come to the table in environments where I probably shouldn't be showing up as a black person, as some people think. I am the treasurer of the National Association of Evangelicals. That doesn't mean I embrace everything that everybody in that organization stands for, because we're all different. But we got to learn how to get to the table so we can hear and, and have our voice heard. And so that's where I am in that space. I don't reject anybody. As long as they believe Jesus died, rose again, he's coming back. You're good with me. <laughs> <laughs> so, Deborah, if somebody I don't think anybody could hear you, see you like I am now and think this way. But I want to speak to somebody. Let's say they read your bio or they just hear a description of you. Here she is. She's you know, brought up in a maybe didn't realize it, but an impoverished you know, situation, underprivileged situation, uh, black, uh, a woman having to work your way up. Well, she is and a Christian and whatever. She has now just you know, hardened herself so she doesn't feel all that bias and that hate and, and, and whatnot. I don't get hardness uh, from you at all, but what, but explain what it is. Cause some people yeah. are going to take it as such, or some people feel like that is what you have to do. Tough skin. I mean, we all know thick skin. We grew up with that. No, it's called faith. And listen, we, as Christians, we're either going to believe the word or we are not. So what I did, I just anchored myself to certain passages. And as they say on that show, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Let me tell you one that I have anchored myself on. Isaiah 14, 27. It says, behold, the Lord has purposed. Who can thwart him? His hand is stretched out. Who can turn it back? When God has purposed that I'm to be in a place, achieve a certain position, who can, who can, who can disadvantage me? Nobody. So I have been in situations where I looked like I, looked like I was disadvantaged. Uh, let me tell you about a situation I had in college where the uh, professor called me in my senior year. And he said, listen, Miss Smith, you and Miss Patmore have tied for the A in the class. And you're going to have to be re-examined to see who gets the A. I was re-examined. I never saw my score. I got the B. Oh, that just kind of devastated me. Now, everybody said, you ought to be glad to got a B, but not me. I'm trying to be excellent. So I didn't realize 25 years later, God would call me to be a writer because from the point that man told me that, that I hadn't made the highest grade, I said, nobody will ever make more than I'll make on a grammar test. So my publisher to this day lets me turn in books late because they say, oh, your manuscript comes in so clean. Well, in my head, that was the, that was the result because I think trouble has a result. All pain has a, a good result. I just believe that and I look for it. You are listening to The Ziegler Show and this episode with Deborah Smith-Pigay, and we're talking about pain and redemption. And next we get into the sensitive topic of God and pain, and you're going to be inspired to hear her response. It's just profound, and I'll tell you, it's freeing. We'll get right back into it with Deborah after I share some great products and services with you. Okay, well, let's hit on that because I'll take this topic anytime I can because I don't think we can hear it. Uh, enough. When you say that word, you know, the pain can have that. Well, I said, I just said can, because we often hear pain has a purpose. I think it can have, it can have mm -hmm. a purpose. It can mm -hmm. be redemptive, but we always, and the, the one I want to hit on, we always have that person who's in that spot where something horrific happened 
and I'm even cautioned to try to justify that because you hear that, especially among Christians, well, God has a purpose. Well, I don't want yeah. that purpose if God caused that or allowed that. Right. Speak to that because you know a lot of people are here. Okay, so here's the deal. I don't believe God causes it, but you know, when you read the story of Job, and I, I kind of anchor myself by reading stories like that, he hadn't done a thing wrong. Yeah. But the enemy came and took away all his stuff. But I love his mindset. He said, I'm just all of my days of my trouble. I'm just going to wait. I'm just going to wait. And you know what? Because we can't figure God out. But why, why take a different mindset that's going to take you down a, a path that leads to nowhere? Just negativity and more depression. I choose to think that no matter what, it's working together for my good. I got to tell you a quick story, Kevin. There was a, 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 some, a parent, some parents who had a, a two twins. They were uh, they were twins. One of them was very negative. One was very positive. So they took them to the psychiatrist to say why they're so different. They took the little pessimist to a room, showed him a room full of toys. And they said, what do you think? And he just started to cry after a while. He said, I'm probably going to break them all eventually. They took the other boy who was optimistic to a room filled to the top with manure. He, before they knew it, he ran, opened the door and started just digging through it, just slinging it everywhere. And they said, oh, oh what, what, what are you doing? He said, with all this manure, there's got to be a pony under here somewhere. Absolutely. Kevin, I'm looking for the pony. And I've been through a lot of manure. <laughs> I've had a lot of manure thrown at me. But I'm, I'm always looking for that pony. And I tell you, I find him. So what I say when people who say that they've been through all so much, I have to. Trust me, I've been through molestation, too many deaths at one time, brain surgery, quit my job to write and speak full time. That's not in my bio, all right? Soon as I left all the comforts and benefits, I developed this condition but I couldn't talk. I have to talk like this without losing our lips. I said, God, if you called me out here to do this, I'm, ne- I'm letting nothing stop me. I'm not canceling a single engagement. I showed up to everyone. They said this is the most painful disease known to man. I, I went through everyone. I had the brain surgery, came out with no side effects. I mean, come on. You, it's, you have to will yourself to do that. And you got to believe it based on the word of God. This isn't about, I think I can, I think I can. I'm like the little engine who could. This is about, I believe he can, I know he will. Deborah, you worked your way up, just to jump back real fast. So you went to college, CPA, you worked your way up, got yourself into the corporate world as a vice president of, of a Fortune 500 company. I mean, at that point, you're in, you're in rare territory for anyone. Uh, you're in rare territory for a, a white American, six foot tall guy like me. That is, that is a rare place. So to be in that place, it's, it's almost, it, it requires, I mean, you are influential whether you want to or not at that standpoint uh, to take that. Is that what drove you into the authoring, the speaking, or was it just part of it you were doing along the way anyways? No. And let me say it was a subsidiary of a Fortune 500 company. It was an MCA Universal Studios subsidiary, venture capital subsidiary that I was vice president. I just want to make that clear. Um, no, the mindset that drove me to start writing was that I saw people who were in conflict uh, who didn't know how to bridge it. Uh, I saw them triangulating. If Mary was upset with Betty, she told Susie. And I thought people need to know how to do this so that, that we can come together as one because people don't realize the power of unity. So I'm always trying to be the peacemaker not peacekeeper. I don't keep quiet for peace sake. So please don't think I'm saying that. I believe in confronting issues. And so I wrote a book called um, Confronting Without Offending. So that's what got me into writing. I'm an accountant by training. I didn't know I could write a book. I figured if I did, it would be so little, you know, you'd be done with it in five minutes (laughs) because I'm a bottom line person. 
Tell me, I, I get that. And I love it. Tell me about uh, tame, 30 Days of Taming Your Tongue, because it's one of those books. I can t- I'm, I'm uh, blessed that I have so many books sent to me, and, but I often get some that I'm not aware of. I didn't see them. And it's like this underground gem that's, it, that's sold a million copies. And I, I've run across uh, probably three others, two that are right. I think there's another one. But this year of a book that I was not aware of, I didn't know what it had done. And it sold, you know, a million, multiple copies. That book, well, tell me what the catalyst was. For what, you know, you, you know okay. I, asked, I asked that and you said it was an incident with uh, Divorce Court TV judge. Yeah, yeah. Judge Maybelline. I, okay. I messed up. I messed up with my mouth and I told something I wasn't supposed to tell. It wasn't a secret. It just wasn't, I didn't use the best discretion, let's just say, okay. in doing it. So I just, it was a, so I was so upset with myself for disappointing her as her friend because she was just beginning, you know, she was popular in the public eye. I wanted her to know she had a real friend, blah, blah, blah. So I felt so bad. I put myself on a tongue fast and a period of abstinence from abstinence from negativity. So for 30 days, you couldn't do anything negative. No being critical, no gossiping, no complaining, none of that. And so that's what, that's how the book was born. It's a 30 day fast from, from negativity. Okay, let me ask about that. Okay, this is the Ziegler show. I mean, we're all about positivity and optimism <laughs> and no negativity. Right. But when you get to that personal, you know, face-to-face intimacy, vulnerability with people, we by proxy expect that that's sharing our woes, sharing. Our, that's what we do at the end of the day. Oh man, how's your day? Oh man, this happened and that happened. Or not even to to just diss on that, but just to come together, even as couples and whatnot. And we have a hurt during the day. We have a struggle during the day. We have a relational issue. We want to talk about that, and it feels natural. And just to be over here on the positivity, you know, bandwagon and said, oh no, we only speak the positive to a lot of people. It feels like, well, that's not real intimacy either talk right. about it so okay. tell about that because okay, okay see there's a difference between explaining and complaining okay <laughs> i can come home and explain to my husband the challenges that i face today but if i'm constantly in this woe is me mode and i want to give that as a challenge right now before i even go any further to okay. your audience for 24 hours don't complain about anything don't complain about the weather don't complain about anything express no displeasure see what that looks like because what, what it's going to do is show you how our, our, our propensity to be negative. Because once I put myself on that fast and each day was a different negative use of the tongue, I realized I'm negative. <laughs> Sometimes I'm more negative than I, I need to be. So I went through the little test in the back. Did I do this today? Did I do any one of these 30 things? In a single day, I had five violations. I'm like, Lord, I'm the author. I can't have five violations. <laughs> but <laughs> So it, we need to be able to talk to people about our, our woes, but don't wear them out with it. We just need to be able to explain it. We need to be able to pray about it. We don't need to pretend it's not there. So I'm not talking about just explaining it and even reaching out to say, pray for me. I am in this space right here. I'm just talking about being negative, uh, complaining to people, being critical, judgmental. You know, really, really, do we need to do that? Not telling the truth or telling telling half the truth. Those are the kinds of things we're talking about. Well, I love to hear messages. Uh, we all need repetition. So I want to I want to point everybody back. A lot of people heard him on show episode 763. We had Will Bowen who wrote the book. Uh, a, a complaint-free world. And I, I would be remiss if I didn't recognize on your Lead Like a Woman book, the front uh, page testimonial from Shanti Feldhahn and her 30-day kindness challenge. There's, there, may not, there, there, there may not, Deborah, be another book 
or another perspective topic that I have talked about more on this show in the past, however many years since I had Shanti on there. So your book, I'll tell you, uh, you guys sent me two of, oh no, I think three of them. My wife grabbed one right away because <laughs> she said, oh man, I know, I know I've gotten that. And then she read about you. She says, I've got to read that about you. Cause you go through this, you go through the book and you hit, is it 30 different 30. ways? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I love that because it's not just if so people are hearing that, okay, just don't say anything negative. It's near impossible to, for us too. But when you go and explain them to that degree, yeah. to me, it was just like, oh yeah, oh yeah. I didn't yeah. really, I didn't, I didn't think about that. I, I think I'm doing so well, but Ooh, I did that. And I did that. And I did yeah. that. I yeah. that and, I, and I give you alternatives. Like I give you, instead of doing this, say that, you know, and, and I give you scriptures that reinforce the principle. So see, I used to have trouble telling half the truth. Now, let me tell you what, I wasn't a liar. My husband said any intent to deceive is a lie. But let's say I was late for a meeting and I would come in since I lived in L.A. I would come in like, ah, traffic. I didn't say I was in traffic. I wanted to imply. Yes. <laughs> traffic. You know, see how subtle we can be. I'm like, yes. no, just stop that. You know, you wanted the people to believe one thing that wasn't true. And I'm like, yeah, but I want them to know I just didn't plan my time. Well, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, well, that's why I love how you get detailed <laughs> in the book. So again, to look at this current time right now that we yes. are in, which uh, I recently had Sam Collier on the show and he talked about it as a double pandemic. We've got uh, COVID happening and we have the racial issues, which are at this at this high with that, what do you, and I already talked about the media, which again, I, I, it doesn't help me to be negative about the media, but it's a dangerous <laughs> thing to be involved with and to be looking at right now. It does influence us. It does help steer the culture. When you look at that, let's go back to your book, 30 Days of Taming Your Tongue. Where yeah. has it accelerated the negativity right now? Where do you see the acceleration amongst you know, your 30 areas? Where are we, which, which spot's on fire right now? I think we're all being judgmental. Everybody's super sensitive. You can't say anything. I, I when I hear white people say all lives matter, well, that just gets us going. You know, it's like, well, yeah, but all lives are not being discriminated against. Or when whites hear, oh, you have white privilege. I'm sure that should get you going because I, I wish we had a better word. So I think we need to just really use our words better. Let's choose words that are not so inflammatory. Let's not be so sensitive. Yeah, when I, I use the word white privilege, but I don't mean, I try not to actually, I try to say white advantage or something like that because we just got to understand, try to understand each other's sensitivities. I even put out a list not too long ago of things not to say to black people. <laughs> I'm, okay. I'm trying to help people. <laughs> well, and, and I'll tell you, it's needed. One of the things that I have seen the most amongst white people, uh, especially well-meaning, is just some confusion. Even though if they hear it and they understand, they hey, I get it, yeah. I get it. What do I do? What do I do? And that's been a big question. And I feel confusion. And I see them str struggling with guilt then at that point, which I know doesn't help anything. <laughs> Maybe relevant to some degree, but um, it, it's, it's, that, it's that confusion. So- Speaking to it, I appreciate you candidly doing so. Well, when I and, and you know, my list, I put out 10 things whites can do and 10 things blacks can do. One mm -hmm. of my things on my list is reject the guilt. Don't let anybody put that guilt on you. I was in a, an environment recently and it was uh, several white people. I said, now raise your hands if you own the slave. So you're not responsible for the sins and atrocities of your ancestors. If you are perpetuating them, yes, repent and, and, and get on another track. But you can't let society well, you can't let us as black people put that guilt on you today because you weren't there. Now, you may have gotten some benefits that got you to your place, but that's not your fault. <laughs> it's like a beautiful woman. You're just like, OK, that's not your that's not your fault. You're beautiful. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So it, you may have it, you may have been in a better position in life, 
but you don't need to apologize for that. What you want to do is to make sure you're not perpetuating uh, the, the racism or whatever. So I'm really encouraging both sides, you know, but we all have biases. And that's yeah. my number one thing on my list. Recognize that we all have a bias. I, we, I have a bias. I mean, I have, a, I have positive biases towards people. I like people who t- talk fast. I don't, don't, don't give me the long version of a story. <laughs> I'm too busy to hear the long version. And I realized, though, in, in having that bias, many times I'm going to miss out on the value somebody else could have had to my life because they circled the airport too long before they made the point. I am totally with you there. I want you to talk to judgment, though, because uh, to be candid, I talked about some discussions yesterday. I had one of my ch- children. Let's see. She is uh, she's 20. And all candor, uh, with no offense, but we were talking about something. She said, Daddy, you are judgmental. You are. I mean, I, I can't deny that. I mean, it's so difficult to, and we've, we've talked about this as parents, my wife and I, that when you are pursuing uh, just bettering yourself, I mean, I'm in, the, I'm a professional in the personal development, self-help industry. When you're doing that and you see something that has helped you, that has helped people. And even more so when you see things that are hurting people, you want to speak to that, which you do. You, you said you confront those to do that in a way that is not judgmental, I'm just going to say, and maybe this is just my own weakness, which there's plenty of, it's difficult. It's difficult to walk that line of standing on that and, and believing yeah. in that and having grace and compassion. And so I had a daughter testifying that I don't always do that well. Well, I, I, I you're preaching to the choir. <laughs> Listen, I, I'm like that. And if I see somebody can be excellent in a way, I, I want that person to be excellent. I, I had a big deal to launch my book. It was an online event on Sunday. And somebody was speaking and they got up and start walking. You know, they had 45 minutes to prepare to speak, but they started walking through the house with their computer, trying to find a better light. See, I'm like, be prepared. I, I'm, I'm always trying to help somebody improve. I'm not being critical. I just want people to be excellent if they can. And especially if you're black, I'm not kidding. I, I have very little tolerance for somebody who's who, who doesn't pursue excellence. It's like, you know, we're already discriminated against. You can't afford to be less than in this area. You got to have your areas. And I'm not going for perfection here. I'm just talking about excellence. And there is a difference. And so that I'm, I'm kind of in that space. So I was planning to write this person a note this week and say, listen, you want to already be ready to roll when the camera starts. Don't, don't walk through the house with that. If you're going to do that, put a still shot up there. That's what you do on Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> Well, again, I appreciate the way that you're coming at this because people could hear, you know, people can hear that and feel it's an unfairness because what we're by proxy saying, which is absolutely true. uh, And I'll pick on myself because it's just the easiest thing to do. I'm a six foot tall, white American male. And I do not by, if, if, if we get away from the privilege and the whatever, I don't have to try as hard. I can just get That's away. Right. Yeah, I can get away with so much. The expectation level is there and I can get away with that. And for you to saying, uh, if you are not that, uh, we could just say that right there. If you are not a six foot tall white American male, <laughs> you're going to have to strive harder to get the same level of what? Name all, you know, respect, opportunity. Respect, uh, access. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No, but that's see, that's a reality that we sh- we we can't live in Schutzville and say that shouldn't be. Okay, it shouldn't be. But I've never been one to bemoan my reality. If that's what it is, then let me see how I can advance my ball down the court in that reality. That's why when I talk about not assimilating into the culture, but I can tell you, Kevin, I have spent so much money and I don't regret it. Just trying to make sure I I I I'm at a place where I can be accepted in that. Now I'm not 
I wasn't obsessed with being accepted. I wanted to get to the table because I know I know me. If I get to the table, when I say to the table, in those circles where decisions are made that may impact people who look like me, I want to have a voice there. I want to have a voice that's respected. Well, you're going to have to do certain things to get to the table to be respected. That's a reality. So I'm, I'm willing to do that. So I don't lead with the fact that I'm black. I don't come in somewhere with a big Afro. I don't care who does. That's fine. And I'm not trying to be white, but I want to make sure that because listen, we all like people to some extent who are kind of like us a little bit, mm -hmm. you know, think about it. I mean, can I just be real with that? I mean, we have to accept that we, people don't, you don't need to be angry. People don't want to be around an angry person. You can be angry, but you, you better learn how to protest in a better way. So that's what I'm saying. Some people may not like it, but listen, it's got me to the table, many tables. <laughs> hey, right on the bookshelf behind me, we've got Zig Ziglar's classic book, Secrets of Closing the Sale. One of those just basic sales things is to mirror the person that you're across from. If they're sitting back, you sit back. If they're sitting <laughs> forward, you sit forward. And you're just talking to it right there. We subconsciously associate with people who are like us. I mean, you're talking about strategies, we're, you know, strategies for success as the old saying goes and your book lead like a woman. The title in itself is interesting because you don't say lead as a woman lead in spite of the fact that you're a woman, you say lead like a woman. And I like the two categories that you have in the book is what are the things that you need to embrace, refine, sharpen, have affirmative action for as a woman different than a man, and we, I think you're, you're saying in, yeah. the same, in the same sense, we could put race in there as well. And, and what are the things to, again. That we, yeah, that we do avoid. the self-sabotage. You're right. Yes. Right. Yeah. yes. Go, go ahead. So hit no, on that well, because I, I like that. Well, first off, lead like a woman. Give us yeah. that. Give us the elevator pitch for that title. Lead Like a Woman is about how women can embrace the inherent traits that God has given them and embrace them and manage them because women are built to excel. We, we've been we've been God has given us these traits that cause us to excel in leadership. The studies show that that and when they study uh, the, the attributes of leadership, blah, 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 women excel in all of them except one. And that's confidence. But the truth of the matter is that we also engage in a lot of self-sabotaging behavior. So part one of the book says, listen, these are the 12 traits. Embrace them, but manage them. Don't overdo them unless this asset becomes a liability. But in the second part, it's like, OK, you need to stop doing that because that's not going to advance your ball down the court. That's, that's what it's about. And when I say lead like a woman, you don't have to act like a man. You don't have to be rough and tough and, you know, come in slinging things around because I am in charge. You can carry yourself in a way that you command respect and know what you know and not apologize for it and stop doing those things that make people think that you're not ready. Okay. I, <laughs> don't, know if I don't know if this is fair. Cause I appreciate, I was just going to ask that again, coming back to just as a moment ago, you said, it's not that you're trying to be white. And in this sense, oh. you don't have a book that's saying, Hey, here's how to lead like a man and be like a man. It's mm -hmm. embrace that. But then in a sense, and you said it to, to some degree, you are, respecting the game field as it is that we can't change. Like you said, it's a should this, should that, doesn't matter. It is what right. it is. And if it's a man's world or a white person's world, whatever you're saying, okay, it is what it is. Let's go in there though. But you're saying, be, you still are saying, be true to yourself. You're saying, be true strategies. to yourself. Yes. Okay. See, you can make a difference. Let, let me tell you this. Everybody who knows me, people who know me, they know that I'm straightforward. So I am not in there like so glad to be at the table and I'm a minority and you guys have accepted me. No, I speak up. Everybody knows me for speaking up. And I will say in a minute, hey, that's not right. I, I, I think we could do that. We need to consider a better way to do this. I can say that because I think I've earned the respect to come to the table because I didn't come to the table as a minority. I came to the table as a qualified professional with a, a CPA and an MBA. And I worked real hard to get all the credentials. <laughs> 
So in, in a lot of environments, I have more credentials than the people who thought they were better than I am, but I perceive my own merchandise. That's from the Bible. She perceives that her merchandise is good. I know that when I come to the table, I'm good for people. I tell them the things they shouldn't be saying. I've told my publishers, don't say black people are articulate. They'll say, oh, when they're talking about me, she's so articulate. I said, listen, you need not to say that. I need to, I'm going to help you. I tell them this behind the scenes. When you say that, what you're saying is you're articulate to be a black person. Do you tell white people they're articulate? (laughs) See, I'll say stuff like that. I help people. I help people. In a sense, I, I hear you're not backing away from things, but you're not offended. But you have chosen not to be offended, not to. Yeah. Because yeah. some people genuinely just don't know. You know, I, I had this discussion with somebody yesterday and they said, you need to quit making excuses. I'm not in making excuses for them. Some people genuinely don't know that you shouldn't say certain things. Somebody said to me recently, she said, you have mercy and grit in spades. I said, you want to be careful using the word space <laughs> when you're talking about a black person. That's offensive. She didn't know that. She was so horrified. She's, I didn't, I know you didn't mean it because I know her heart. So we got to quit being so sensitive and call it out when we see it. See, this is how we're going to grow. I'm not saying salute and try to conform to men's leadership styles, but men set the rules. And if men don't cry, then we probably need to try hard that we don't cry in a situation. But if we do, I teach you how to jump back from that to say, hey, you can tell I feel pretty strongly about that. Okay, you got to, Deborah, you got to school me. So this is going to go out to you know tens of thousands of people, and I'm going to admit, okay. I, spades. I've never heard that. What's yeah, a spades? Well, you know, a spades is those. That, you know, when you play cards. Yeah, you know, that's the, that black thing. Well, that's usually associated with something black. Sometimes they'll say, "Oh, that person was referring to a dark skin person. He was black as ace of spades," or they used to even call a spades. It, it just it means wow. black. It's a derogatory term for blacks. So I say, just don't just don't use it in any reference. Don't use it in the same sentence when you're talking about black people. Okay. We, you, you will never know everybody's sensitivities. All right. So sure. you 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 know. So you're bound to just. But but if you have been out there in a person, we know you as a person who's objective. We know your heart. Then you can get by with some things. But if you haven't been out there, we don't know you. You might want to refrain from some phrases like that. So when you, you talked about being in those, those key places, key, uh, uh, you know, groups of people, decisions are being made, high level stuff happening there. You are obviously you're cognizant of what's going on. You're cognizant of perceptions and whatnot, but it also feels like you're in, in, to a sense, once you get in there, you're just, you, you're just, and you're ignoring that and putting it behind you. I, I, oh, yeah. I, yeah. Okay. See, I, I can't be I have to be authentic. So if I if I'm a person who when I see an issue and I put it on the table, I watch how I put it on the table. I don't accuse. I'll say we need to consider this. You know, I'll say it that way. We need to consider that this has this impact. We need to consider it that way. Or if we're talking about things that affect minorities, you know, I need to say, hey, this is an issue in our community or whatever. You see, I need to say that because God gives you a platform for a reason. So I'm not there to just be exalted to say I'm the only black person in this situation. No. I'm there for a reason. And so I'm always looking for God. Why am I here? What, what's the message I'm supposed to bring? I, I'm, I, I don't, I don't worry about consequences. Yeah. Who can thwart God's purpose for me? I mean, that's why I've always been the person they vote to go tell somebody the bad news the bo- or tell the boss. We, we don't like this. Yeah. I tell them I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid of what somebody can do to me. My destiny has already been set. How are you going to thwart it? <laughs> All right, this book, and I'm going to hold it up for people who are watching the, the okay. video, uh, lead like a woman. <laughs> Well, let me just ask there. I mean, was there a specific, just like with Taming the Tongue, was there a specific catalyst for it? Because the principles of it, the the you you've lived this out for a long time. Was there something that inciting incident, as Donald Miller would say, that 
brought you to the point of saying, I need to, I need to put this, I need to write, I need to get this message out. You know, I just think God called me to write this. I wasn't planning to go down this track. I talk about human behavior in other ways. I was, I, I was wanted to start talking about money and I had written a book called The One Minute Money Mentor for Women. I really want to just talk about financial empowerment, but I read a stat that said it's gonna take 200 years for women to achieve gender equality. And I'm thinking, I don't think so. I'm saying, okay, we need a tool so that a woman can fast track her own journey. I see women doing some things they shouldn't do. I see women dressing, uh, dressing suggestively in the workplace, but wondering why they can't be taken seriously. And I'm thinking, no, you need to know that's a sabotaging thing. So I began to look at various ways that women sabotage themselves, but I also looked at these traits that we had, like being nurturing. Uh, and so when, when we bring this nurturing trait to the table, we, we help people develop. People like that. The, the studies have shown that a company who has women in charge, their bottom line is 15% higher, even if it's just the woman on the board. So women bring a lot to the table. And what I wanted people to understand is learn how to work with men. Let's stop this mindset that we're in hand-to-hand -hand combat. We're not in hand-to-hand -hand combat with men. They bring a strength, we bring a strength. And together, hey, it's like Adam and Eve. You know when God told them, go and, and full, you know, replenish the earth, that's the word they use. That, to me, that implies somebody else was here, but never mind. <laughs> Go and populate the earth. He said that to them. They needed to work together. Neither one of them could say, okay, I'll go do it my way. I'll do it my way. No, no, you have to work together. I don't believe that was just in the context of marriage. But if we're going to be fruitful and multiply, then we're going to have to work hand in hand with men. So that's, that's the whole strategy. Stop being against men. I'm for men. I'm married to a man. I love all this men stuff. <laughs> <laughs> what would be a possible perspective someone, a woman could have when she sees this book that you would want to dispel. Meaning is this, you know, is this, cause they could get, is this another one that says, yeah, but you've already said to this, but you know, buck up, be like a man, don't have any feelings. Don't be you. No, no, no. It's not that at all. And I mean, I even tell you how to take back your point when you're in a meeting and a man takes your point. I'm talking about learning strategies that work since this is your reality that a lot of times a woman will make a point in a meeting and, and nobody has, it has no impact. A man comes right behind her, says it a little bit differently. And everybody sure. says, yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to teach women how to, how, do you, how to get that point back without sounding like a sensitive, angry woman. I, I'm going to give this tip right now. I'll look at that person who does that. And I've had it done to me many times. I'll say, thank you so much for your support with that. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I appreciate that support. When I, when I had that initial conversation with you about that, this is what I meant. See, I'm subtly saying, I told you that already. Yeah. <laughs> well, when you talk about strategies, um, so my wife, she is not a subtle, soft-spoken, <laughs> mild-mannered, submissive person. She has more important things to do. Very much like you, you would appreciate her and, uh, and she would you as well, but has talked about that aspect of out in the world, especially in the workplace, when a man has certain attributes of assertiveness, whatever, you know, you, it's applauded. And we know this is an old story, but I want to hear you address it anyways. That it's applauded when a woman has it. Uh, it is not, we'll just say that it's, it's often not. And, and it comes across as my wife would say as a, as a female dog and how they reference that. That's what, right, I, right, and right. that's, that is difficult for her. It's frustrating. It's, again, you would say, well, it just is what it is, but still you're talking about, okay, what are strategies to overcome that? Yes. And I'm talking about how you say it. I, let, let me give you an example. I was in a meeting once where um, uh, we had worked on a project and they asked the guy who was head of the project to go out and leave the meeting so they could discuss his bonus. They came back in. Nobody said a word about it, giving me a bonus. Now, I could have said, I'm not going to take this any longer. I, listen, 
when he came back in, I'm talking about boldness that comes from God himself. Because when he sat back down and they were about to go on with the next uh, item on the agenda, I said, hey, I'm going to step out now and let you guys discuss my bonus. <laughs> Beautiful. Guess yeah. what? I got a five figure bonus, too. You see, you don't have to be a B. You really don't. It's, it's, so that's why I say manage your emotions. Emotions motivate us. So that's one of the assets God has given us. We, when we understand our emotions, we understand other people's emotions. So I said, if this is not going to work, if I put them on the spot. So I got to do this in a way that still is it's me. I, I, I'm not a B. <laughs> I don't I don't accuse people. I'm, I'm sure it's an oversight. <laughs> I give people the benefit of the doubt or act like I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. And I ask for what I want. Yeah. I just ask for what I want. I don't apologize for it. I know what I bring to the table. I know what I brought to the table in that project. I did something nobody had ever done in the country in a certain transaction. I know that. And I'm thinking as far as, far as, as uh, getting lending and, you know, for a project, blah, blah, blah. And so I thought they don't want to lose this asset. And so sometimes when I would just get frustrated, I said, well, you know, and if God is still saying I'm supposed to be here, Maybe I better consider what else God is saying. See, I made God the heavy. Yeah. <laughs> so I teach women. <laughs> yeah. I teach women how to listen. You got to do what you got to do, especially Christian women, because mm. some of us have this idea that we need to keep quiet for peace' sake, and if we just work hard and keep our heads down, somebody's going to notice. Not. Yeah. Not. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> when you you know with this book, I can read it. I hope I can discern wisdom. Uh, I can't read it as a woman. Uh, so. No. As that, where would you, obviously it's training. We're talking about strategy. It's training. Where or have you, are you already finding that there are aspects of it being freeing for them as well? Again, dispelling these myths that they have of it. This is what I got to do. This is how, you know, this is the injustice out there, whatever. Is it, are there aspects of it that women can look forward to? This is going to help free you. This is going to free you from a mindset that's that one extreme or the other. Either I'm going to keep quiet and say nothing and just hope somebody will notice me, or I'm going to start acting like a man. And then I'm, and that's not going to advance my ball down the court at all. You know, I use those, that term a lot because <laughs> one of my bosses told me that he said, now, listen, when you come in like blockbusters, blockbusters like that, you are not going to advance your ball down the court. He said, you're going to have to be more strategic with the boss because at first I was like, no, no, that's not right. That, he said, that's not going to work. And I'm thinking, well, it should don't live in Shirtsville. That's I made up that don't live in Shirtsville where things should happen. So I'm just teaching women, look, here, look at your reality. Say, how can I best maneuver this? If I need to confront something, I can't, I, I have to have a sandwich approach. I can't just have like just the steak. Here it is. I have to have some affirming words. That's bread. I need to say the meat of the matter. Then I need to have some more bread with it so that it's, it's, it's palatable to the people who are listening. So I have all kinds of strategies in there like that. How to, how to ask, how to keep that file that says, this is what I've done all year long. I believe this is what I deserve. This is what I'd like. You know, that's what you got to say. How to set boundaries when, when your work tries to infringe on your family time. No, I, I don't, people know not to do that with me. I just let them, you know, mm-mm. <laughs> I want to I want to anchor this, uh, Deborah, with taking this this perspective, uh, just to take advantage of the fact that you are here, you are you, you know what you know on the racial aspect too, because so much of what you're talking about mm -hmm. that it is what it is, uh, but there are some things that you need to do strategies. I love that if you're going to advance the ball down, because I mean, yeah. who doesn't want to? Who wants to say, well, I want to yeah. stand on that? Well, you can if you want to stay there or go backwards, but if you want to go forward, so in the same thing. Uh, because it feels like so much of the perspective, the nuances may be different, but the perspective is the one that you're bringing out in regards to race as well. Some things that you need to affirmatively embrace, some things you just need to 
avoid? What would you speak to there? Well, and now from the racial issues, I, we got to keep confronting those. I, I don't I don't want anybody to go quiet on the racial issues, because if we don't keep that problem in the forefront of society, it's not going to happen. So I, I am I am not uh, necessarily I don't necessarily embrace all of the tenets of the Black Lives Matter movement, the organization. But I am definitely for Black Lives Matter as a concept. <laughs> so we got whatever it take, whatever we got to do. I mean, we see as women, we have this triple head, you know, and especially as a black woman, you know, you got the racial stuff, you got the gender stuff, you know, it's just, come on, it's, it's just bad. All right. But I can't focus on the fact that I'm so disadvantaged. If I were, I'd be struck out because here's what they told me when I graduated. You're black, you're a woman and you're dark skinned black. It's like dark skinned blacks have a harder time than light skinned blacks, believe it or not, because we have discrimination even within our own race. If I had embraced that, I mean, I would have just said, oh, I'm, you know, I'm a strikeout already. You got to look at what you bring to the table. Value it. Uh, honor it. Don't let anybody else minimize you and don't get stuck in anger when it, when you are discriminated against. I don't get stuck in anger. If, some, if, I've been, if I've been passed over for something, I'll say, I really need you to tell me what I need to do so that next time I'm in first position to do that. You know, I don't get stuck and not, and not be excellent. I don't sulk. I, I don't want to be the skunk at the picnic. So I don't pout. I just go straight to who I need to know and say, now, what happened there? I just need to know, you know, a special assignment I wanted. Why can't I have that assignment? I, I just want to work on that. I just need to know. Help me. Tell me. You can tell me what I need to do to go to the next level. I'm open to it. And I'm going to continue to be a team player. And I may even work on getting out of the whole situation. But until I leave, I'm going to be that model person who had a great attitude. And I was straightforward in terms of what I wanted. Okay. All right. I'm going to pick. I'm going to pick out. I'm going to get in. We're going to hit on one more area of, okay. of uh, possible prejudice that you just don't align with. And we talked about it right at the beginning. You're 70 years old. I'm 70 years old. You do not uh, <laughs> epitomize the average 70 year old. And when you have so many people who at your age, because some of my closest friends are, are nearing that age where most people are slowing down <laughs> and that's what they expect. I just don't get that feeling from you. God has given me supernatural energy. In fact, I was at a church not too long ago and this Jewish man, he prophesied to me. He said, God's going to give you supernatural energy when other people are slowing down. And when I go walking with my niece, who's like 20 years younger, I mean, I'm just like, she can hardly keep up. <laughs> I, listen, I have energy, but I expect to. And let me tell you what weighs you down. A bad mindset, anger, you know, woe is me. Look, don't let that. Hey, look for the pony. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. You know what? That's great. Cause we're going to segue into the part two of our show, which is talking about your habits and, and that's it right there. Uh, Deborah, I'm just grateful for your, your inspiration, uh, for your wisdom in both of, in, in all these topics here. Thanks for giving us the time. I'm excited. I'm grateful people on Facebook are listening right now, but, uh, for the people who listen to the podcast, just a powerful message. That's why I had you on here. I, it's a gift to me to hear from you and to learn myself and to bring this message to them. Thank you for giving us your time and your heart today. My joy. Well, friends, I mean, I think all my guests are inspiring. Of course, that's why I have them here on the show. That's why I picked them to be on the show, but some just have a, a bit bigger dose of inspiration. And Deborah just gave me a, such a great lift in my spirit. Again, you can find Deborah and all she has to offer at confrontingissues.com. And you can find her new book, Lead Like a Woman, anywhere you buy books. Coming up in episode eight to six, you must come first. And first, let me hear, let me, let me tell you this. First doesn't mean most. 
but it is a relevant sequence. Here's a simple and easy analogy that I think you'll get, but it will be uh, an effort to truly get before a busy week of caring for your family, running them around everywhere. You fill your car up with gas, right? I bet you don't drive until you run completely out, end up stranded with your family, right? And you don't get out and push and have one of your kids steer for a few days because you don't have gas. You go get gas uh, and you get it before you're empty continually, possibly every week or more, depending on how much you drive. You also change the oil frequently. You put washer fluid in, you get new brakes and tires and more. You get the idea. What about yourself? We often don't treat ourselves with the wisdom and necessity of our car. We run ourselves to empty and spend untold days, weeks, months, maybe even years running on empty. And we're slow and we're sluggish or hectic and frantic. And the people we care about are not getting our best. Uh, It's a cultural error. In this episode, I play a clip from Zig Ziglar where he talks about balance and having us look at where we're out of balance. And I posted this question to the Ziglar audience. I said, right now, which area below, and I'm listed, uh, gets most of your focus and interest and which one gets the least? And I followed the Ziglar wheel of life. Well, Tom Ziglar and I talked through the responses. You're going to be interested to hear where people said that they were giving the most focus. And again, this is not where they thought they should. It was literally, where are you now? Uh, whether you want to or not, giving the most focus and the least. Uh, the punchline, I've made it obvious, I think, is the place people most cited giving the least focus to was themselves, their own personal care. So, of course, Tom and I address it in the show. Super, super important episode. Till then, folks, thank you, as always, for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together. 